This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Development and Events Committee meets on the fourth Monday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is being held. Hi, this is Peter Himmelman. You're listening to KBOO Community Radio 90.7 FM. Welcome to Labor Radio. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gilliland. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Just quickly before we jump into our show, we would like to give a special thanks and shout out to the Labor Radio Podcast Network for hosting podcasted versions of our show each month. Be sure to check that out at laborradionetwork.org. And now on to our actual topic for the night. Uh, Thousands of unionized retail workers from the mid-Atlantic to the west coast of the United States are lobbying regulators and lawmakers as part of a broader effort to nix the $25 billion merger between supermarket megacorporation Kroger, which is the parent company of Fred Meyers locally, and Albertsons, the parent company of Safeway. Uh, Combined, the two companies would control nearly 5,000 stores, reaching about 85 million households around the United States, and be second only to Walmart in grocery industry market share. Uh, If approved by regulators, the deal is expected to close in early 2024, and it would almost certainly mean higher grocery prices and more hardship for millions of working people. Uh, So, you know, to state the obvious, this mega merger is bad news for basically everyone except a few of the the company's top executives and their shareholders on Wall Street. Um, Just as an example, Kroger is already the number two grocer in America with uh, over $130 billion in annual sales. And Albertsons is number four with over $70 billion of sales per year. Uh, And so, you know, if, if this deal is allowed to go through, the massive new firm, which, you know, would it be called Albertson Kroger's, Kroger Albertson or Krogertson's, you know, who knows what they'd call it, might just be Kroger. Uh, But this new firm would command over $200 billion per year in sales, over 15% of the U.S. grocery market, and command over the lives of over 700,000 people who stock, pick, sweep, and ring registers on our behalf. Uh, the new firm would come fully loaded with some serious leverage over its workers as well. Uh, The combined duo would become America's largest private unionized employer, uh, which is crazy. I didn't realize that it was a grocery store that would be that. Um, And uh, will no doubt use that leverage to squeeze workers even more than they already have. Uh, Workers at roughly 1,800 of Kroger's 2,726 stores and a majority of Albertson's 
2,200 stores are members of the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, or the UFCW. Um, And at least four affiliates of that union, the UFCW, have come out against this merger, saying that they have concerns about store closures and layoffs. Uh, Such a merger is sure to require large-scale layoffs in warehouse operations and other behind-the-scenes jobs that keep stores running as a lot of them would become, a lot of those jobs would become redundant. And so, yeah, like they, the workers and the unions specifically are right to be, you know, wary of this because it likely would see a lot of their membership uh, laid off uh, if the two companies merge. Uh, Kroger and Albertsons have said they're willing to divest up to 650 stores to secure regulatory clearance for this merger. Uh, but workers say they fear that uh, the rocky track record of such deals, you know, they feel fear that what would come of it. Uh, as just one example, the unions cite the, the bankruptcy of a company called Hagen, uh, a retailer in Washington State, which bought more than 100 stores from Albertsons uh, once they had sold them in order to win approval for their 2014 merger with Safeway. Uh, but within a year, Hagen had filed for bankruptcy closing many of those stores and blaming Albertsons for driving it out of business. And so, yeah, the concern there seems to be that, you know, even if the mega companies were to divest from certain stores and, and allow them back into, you know, single ownership or, you know, smaller ownership, likely this merger would then allow those companies, the, the Kroger Albertson company, to come back in and crush the smaller independent stores, thus leading to those workers being laid off regardless. You know, it may be just a slightly longer timeline on that. Um, a, uh, a worker at a Fred Meyer in Seattle uh, actually said in an interview with Reuters that there is no, you know, this is a quote, there is no way that this is going to be good for workers. I wish they would put their money towards trying to lower prices and increase wages, wages rather than gobbling up the competition which is a sentiment that is shared by, you know, a lot of the worker, the membership, the worker membership at both of the companies as well as uh, the official statement from the UFCW. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting or important to call out as well that, you know, unlike a lot of industries, which I think are, are shrinking, grocery, a lot of outlets have actually seen growth as a part of the pandemic with yeah. shopping shifting to that direction, a lot more stay at home. Uh, in particular, Kroger, I believe, in 2021 saw like double digit growth. Um, so these these companies aren't starved for uh, yeah. for improvement or growth or, or, or profits as well. Yeah, it's an industry that is not, that is doing well. Right. It's not like these companies are merging in order to stay alive as like a desperate attempt. Like they're mm-hmm. merging because they can because they want to be bigger. Yeah. It's not. It's not just to keep the company alive. Uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, and actually, last year, at the request of the UFCW, um, the nonprofit Economic Roundtable conducted a survey of 10,000 Kroger workers. And from that survey, they found that the living and working conditions of Kroger workers have declined markedly uh, over the past 20 years, um, which has left more than three-quarters of the company's workforce uh, existing in a food in- insecure state. Uh, and on top of that, 14% of Kroger's workforce experience homelessness under while underemployed from or you know with Kroger, which is a kind of shocking statistic to be honest. 
Um, you would think that you know if you had a job and you were working you know for a company that <laughs> that provides groceries, you might not actually have trouble getting yeah. groceries. Yeah. Well, uh, well, uh, yeah, and I mean, I think that touches on a lot of the topics that we've talked about in in terms of like real wage stagnation, uh, while the costs of you know many important things like home shelter these sorts of things have gone up. Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. And, you know, certainly they would, if you were to survey other companies outside of, you know, the grocery industry or outside of Kroger, they would not be the only ones that likely would show numbers like this. Yeah. It is, you know, this is, for the most part, it is lower wage work when you work at a grocery store or in like the the stocking warehouses and stuff like that. Um, And so, you know, if you look at Amazon, they would probably have similar numbers for like warehouse workers and stuff like that. But it is, yeah, it's still, it's shocking when, as you said, or, yeah. Well, and this is with a union in place, right? You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the the UFCW. So I'm sure there's, you know, many other similar type industries without unionization where oh, yeah. these numbers are probably even more staggering, right? This is with a dedicated body protecting wages and, and looking towards the future and things like this. So yeah. um, I, I, th- I think a lot of different industries are in places like this. Absolutely, yeah. And especially, you know, considering that this is an industry that is so crucial to the basic existence of, like, every single person in this country... They provide food for yeah. every family in this country, for the most part. Yeah, no, and I, I think that goes back to the, you know, obviously we've indicated that, well, not we've indicated, it's kind of by our very nature that groceries are kind of something that can't be removed from your day-to-day workflow. Whether, like as a, as a member of society, you know, whether that's the pandemic, them staying open, right, or, or different things like this. And um, again, these were all workers who put a lot on the line to kind of do that. And yeah. Again, you know, we've touched on it on the show, but a lot of those protections are now gone in terms of COVID and things like this, and they're still in there, right? And COVID hasn't gone away. Yeah. Um, so this is in combination with all of those things. Yeah, and, you know, these are workers that deal with your food, you know? Yeah. They, they may not cook your food in the same way that, like, someone in the kitchen at a restaurant does, but they are fully responsible for your, the, the, the condition of your food until the point at which you buy it. So, you know, considering the reality of how desperate a lot of these employees are, you know, it should concern people that, you know, from a solidarity standpoint, that you're going into a place to buy food and the people you're buying it from oftentimes are not, are not sure whether or not they can feed themselves and their children yeah. every night. Uh, it's just a bad state to be in. And if that is the case at Kroger, as it currently is, it's likely also the case at Albertsons, and it will certainly be the case at Albertsons once Kroger buys them. So that just means a larger pool of workers who would be experiencing that, you know, the, the food insecurity and, and uh, homelessness and things that, that, that these portion of the Kroger worker f- workforce is already experiencing. Um, uh, the, the survey that was conducted at the request of the UFCW, um, the authors of that survey also noted that Kroger's workers, uh, workers' exceptionally high food, uh, rate of food insecurity is seven times greater than the U.S. average. And, you know, so, again, that just really highlights the fact, like, these are workers in an industry where they are providing food and they are next to food all day long, and yet those specific workers see a higher, a seven times higher average of food insecurity than someone who works in any other field. Uh, and that's, that's just really shocking. Um, now, you know, company Kroger officials might argue that this is largely due to the ever-inflating cost of, of living, 
more broadly, that exist more broadly across the United States economy. Um, but it's undeniable that the increase in grocery prices is the heaviest weight in the unfair burden borne by working families. Um, and that's a weight that poses an acute threat to the 42 million Americans who said they couldn't afford enough food at the beginning of the year 2022. So, you know, doesn't really doesn't really matter if the company accepts the you know those numbers or not. It is a fact that uh, that they that their cost and the increase of their costs is a, has a direct negative effect for most working Americans in this country. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, a, a merger like this typically doesn't bring lower prices to the consumer, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute. But really, it you know it either raises prices or lowers prices with more profit, kind of for the organization itself, whether that's through factory or back end kind of overhead you know, accounting corporate style uh, job roles that can, you know, be jettisoned because they've merged things like this. So, yeah. uh, you know, like we've touched on and like we'll talk about, the, the folks in these unions are not going to see uh, the benefits of this merger. Yeah, not at all. Like, yeah, really the benefits are going to be felt only by those who are at the top of the, the food chain. To yeah. Fund, uh, maybe intended there, but... You know, yeah, like the, the workers at these companies are not going to see benefit from the consolidation because neither company has already proven that they are better for workers than the other. And, you know, people who are the consumer, on the consumer end are not going to see benefit because now these companies are going to, this merger, this, this combined company is going to control more grocery stores and have more say over the price of goods mm-hmm. in the market. And therefore, they have proven time and again that they will, in fact, increase the price. Um, of, of goods and so working people are going to still be hurt you know potentially more from this deal um, and yeah you know like it or not like this is the inevitable result of corporate consolidation within any industry but specifically within the, the grocery industry um, and you know in fact 60% of grocery sales are already concentrated among just five food corporations um, and this concentrated power has allowed them to anti-competitive to anti-competitively set their own higher prices across the industry amid our continuing inflation that we've been experiencing. Um, and so, yeah, basically, like these companies get to determine whether or not you know what what the price of a gallon of milk is for the most part, and they have proven that they continue to raise that price along you know along with uh, the raising price of everything else. So there's no there's no evidence that they are going to use this uh, yeah. merger. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's in combination with you probably seen on like your local news channel, like hey, you know, here's what a here's what uh you know how many ounces a bag of peanut M and M's is, right? Like I think it's a combination of kind of these price competitively fixing, and also just you know what can we get away with, whether that's smaller kind of um, you know sizes per package or size per serving, things like this. So. Not only is kind of the food shrinking, but it's more expensive and it's delivered in a manner that is, um, uh, you know, less ideal for the worker. Yeah. And it is interesting, like, I, you know, I'm not an economist, uh, but I do know, you know, because inflation has been a big topic of the last year or two years or so, it has been explained that, like, inflation is determined not just by the, the not, not by the, uh, <laughs> the, how much a dollar is worth, but rather it's, it's determined based on like, well, how much has the price of you know certain staple goods gone up over the yeah. past you know set amount of time, 
And so groceries are a major part of how the, of that determination. You know, the price of groceries, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the price of a bag of peanuts or the price of a gallon of milk. You, you, you look at, like, where was that at at the beginning of the year? Where is it at now? If it's increased by this much, that's how much inflation there is, you know, across the board. And so this industry, you know, despite the fact that they may say, well, yeah, the, the, the reasoning that our workers are experiencing such food insecurity is because of inflation and because of that existing across the board in the, in the economy, the reality is that their ability to set prices on their goods likely has a lot to do with that inflation existing throughout the economy uh, and the determination of it. So they have a lot, to, they have a big hand to play in, uh, in basically the, the ability for workers, the, the, how far uh, the workers' dollar goes uh, when they go to the grocery store themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just going to quickly take a break and uh, reintroduce the show. If you're just tuning in, this is Labor Radio. Uh, we are discussing the proposed merger between grocery mega chains Kroger and Albertsons and what that consolidation within the grocery industry would mean for workers within those companies as well as working people uh, in general when they go to try and purchase grocery goods. Um, and yeah, we're going to jump back into that, but thank you so much for tuning in to Labor Radio. Uh, so yeah, thankfully, you know, despite the fact that this merger has been in the works for a long time and it would see the consolidation of you know, of the industry, the, the grocery industry go from five corporations to four corporations. Uh, thankfully, this has received harsh criticism from unions, consumer advocates, and progressive advocacy groups, such as the American Economic Liberties Project, Food and Water Watch, and most notably, Public Citizen. Uh, and recently, Public Citizen's president, Robert Weissman, released a statement arguing that, quote, with food prices rising, The last thing Americans need is a supermarket merger that will spike food prices even farther. Rejecting this merger proposal uh, should be a no-brainer for federal antitrust officials. And uh, the Kroger-Albertsons deal has also been met with serious bipartisan objections uh, from the likes of Senator, uh, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, Independent Senator Bernie Sanders, and Republican Senator Mike Lee. Uh, in addition to the 1.3 million members of the UFCW union. Um, and citing the anti-competitive and anti-worker records of both Kroger and Albertsons, uh, these senators, along with several Democratic representatives, including Jan Schakowsky of Illinois, wrote a letter in October, back in October, ur- uh, urging the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, uh, Chair Lena Khan to oppose the supermarket merger, the giant supermarket merger. Uh, in that letter, the, the, the politicians wrote, quote, Kroger's and Albertson's anti-competitive policies have harmed consumers, workers, small businesses, and the economy as a whole. Uh, and the FTC, FTC should use its authority under the Clayton Act and the Sherman Antitrust Act to prevent the companies from merging uh, reducing competition and making these problems even worse. And so, yeah, like there, it, it is good that that the activism of these unions, like the speaking out of the unions as well as the, the advocacy groups, have led have caught the attention of politicians. And uh, hopefully, you know, it is it's also encouraging to see that that it's not just progressive champions and on the left, but it's also you know Republicans, specifically Mike Lee of Utah. 
um, that are speaking out against this because ultimately it seems like these politicians recognize the reality that it's not a Republican or Democrat issue, it's not a left or right issue, but constituents of both parties mm-hmm. are going to feel the pinch uh, because both parties uh, appeal to people who still have to buy groceries. And that is going to impact people who vote regardless. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about a merger of like luxury high end yeah. phones, right? <laughs> this isn't like an iPhone or an Android sort of situation. This is kind of, you know, like you mentioned, when we talk about consumption bundles and we're talking about inflation rates, food and housing, these are these are key, key parts of it. Yeah. And so, you know, price increases or price hikes in these areas affect people much more so than, you know, something like a, you know, a Microsoft merger or something, you know, that, right. that we've talked about before on the show. Yeah. Like even though like obviously consolidation within any industry will affect people whether or not they realize it. Like this is staple goods. Mm-hmm. This will affect people immediately in a place that they will recognize right off the bat. And so any good politician worth their salt will realize that like this is a winning issue regardless of what side of the spectrum you're on because it's going to affect everyone who votes for, you know, Almost 99% of people who vote for you is going to affect them in a day-to-day ability, in their day-to-day ability to, you know, spend their money and feed their families. Um, and so it is, it is heartening to see that, that there are Republicans on board with this idea. But, uh, you know, even so, it's, it's just great to see that, like, Washington, that this, this issue that is, you know, may have otherwise flown below the radar for yeah. the elites in Washington still this is something that they recognize they need to pick up and, and run with this idea, uh, try and prevent this merger. Um, but yeah, you know, you don't even need to simply take the unions or the workers, the advocates or the politicians' word for it. We all, you know, just witnessed these grocery chains reaping record profits while further squeezing their, you know, quote, hero workers during the pandemic, as Elliot was mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a show, it was probably oh, a year or two ago at this point, about the hero pay that a lot of these, you know, these grocery chains rolled out for their workers because those workers could not stay home. They were forced to go into work because all the rest of us needed to still be able to eat food and buy groceries. So they had to go to them on the job, despite the fact that there was no vaccine rolled out, that the, you know, people were still convinced you could get grocery or, you know, get COVID by, by not wiping down your groceries and stuff mm-hmm. like that. These workers heroically went into work and did their job and were earning you know, very little pay to do so, you know, outside of maybe getting the word hero on their name tag. Um, yeah, and then when they eventually caught COVID, they weren't yeah. even really guaranteed to get paid sick leave. So, exactly. I mean, it was kind of, yeah, it was like a, it was like a, you know, a raise on the their hourly rate and then a negative once they eventually caught the caught COVID, so. Yeah, like we didn't do enough beyond the, the hero label, we didn't do enough to actually Prove that they were heroes. Yes, yeah. that they were essential to us. Uh, but yeah, like these workers continue to do that work. They continue to show up and to like they were the the, uh, the thin green line keeping our, our society together. You know, the produce line. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you would call it. But either way, like they showed up and did that work. And while it happened, you know, since twenty twenty, you know, three years at this point, or. Two years at this point, whatever it is, my math is bad. But uh, grocery purchases purchases surged, while Americans, you know, we were all locked in our homes, but we bought more groceries than ever. Uh, Kroger's profits went up by ninety percent. And what happened, you know, after considerable public pressure, Kroger finally gave their, you know, essential workers a two dollar an hour hero pay raise. But 
That, of course, only lasted for six weeks, and company officials reveled in the glowing media uh, adulation that they received uh, from this highly publicized move, and then they turned around and quietly canceled the raise once the public was no longer paying attention. So, once again, just to, to underline this point, they got these workers who went into work when all the rest of us got to stay home. They were on the front lines when people were coming in from all around the city to buy groceries. They got a $2 an hour hero pay raise that lasted for exactly six weeks. And then, once the media cycle had moved on, that was immediately pulled back. Uh, and they went back to losing that $2 an hour but still having to be there at, on the job risking their, their health and the health of those around them to make sure that we could get groceries while many of them were living in a food insecure situation. And, and as we talked about before, 14% of them were experiencing homelessness. Um, so yeah, it just kind of shows what this company, Kroger, has already done to their employees at a slightly even more dire moment. And so what they're likely to do when people are paying less attention as they merge with this other mega corporation. Um, and then, yeah, on top of that, Kroger then sunk their record profits into two separate $1 billion stock buybacks, rewarding, you know, you guessed it, executives and investors. Uh, and, though, and through all that, uh, their prices kept going up. They have not gone back down to where they were pre-pandemic era. Grocery prices are still inflated to this day. Um, and, you know, in December of 2021, Kroger's CFO... Gary Millerchip admitted uh, the company's business model centered around passing, you know, quote, passing along higher costs to the customer where it makes sense to do so. Uh, and in June of this year, Millerchip removed any lingering doubt that the company values its shareholders over American consumers or even its employees by stating that Kroger would, quote, continue to evaluate opportunities to deploy excess cash to accelerate our growth model and deliver sustainable total shareholder returns. You know, so that's just corporate speak for basically saying like, we are going to, we're going to take all this extra record setting profit that we're making and give it to shareholders as opposed to paying our hero workers more, which is not a shock in the larger context of the things we cover in this show, but it is somewhat shocking in the sense like this is people it's not like these people are producing a uh, uh, luxury good, as, as Elliot was saying a bit like a few minutes ago. But like this is these are staples. Mm-hmm. These are the basic food goods that people need to stay alive. And this company is choosing not to reward the workers who allowed them to keep reaping this record profit during a dangerous time, but instead rewarding the shareholders who did nothing but stay home and allow these workers to go. Yeah, and, and honestly putting the burden of making sure that those people can function on the state and the federal government, right? Because, exactly. I mean, and we've talked about it time and time again where a lot of these kind of modern business models are really reliant on keeping their, you know, headcount and their overhead as low as possible, sustaining kind of these models that don't make a ton of sense outside of the government subsidizing them. Yeah. And, and I think this is another example of it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's very little difference here between, like, you know, this, this the way that this company is and uh, the things we've covered, like, you know, Uber and those types of things. Um, but, yeah, so there is a little bit of cause for hope 
because uh, you know there is a new, as I mentioned, the new chair of the FTC, Linda Kahn, who is a Biden appointee and who has already gained a reputation for rankling business leaders with uh, her scrutiny of mergers. And in fact, uh, she was quoted in a Wall Street Journal interview saying, uh, in, in, you know, quote, in all too many areas of our economy, including agriculture, airlines, healthcare, we've seen significant, significant consolidation and reduction of competition. Mergers play a role in that. Uh, and in fact, in the past year, her commission has issued more letters of investigation related to mergers than in any other year of the past decade. So there is some hope that the, the federal government may step in and actually help these workers and, and consumers in this point, but you know that is still yet to be seen. Uh, just to close out the show, because we are running out of time here, um, this deal you know, is a pretty big antitrust tra- uh, travesty, and in a time of record food prices and skyrocketing corporate profits, it should be criminal to even suggest such a merger. You know, we need uh, enforcement of, of existing antitrust laws, such as the Robertson-Patman Act, uh, which is a 1936 law that prevents large franchises and chains from engaging in price discrimination against small businesses. Uh, it's also time that we break up big grocery giants uh, to encourage gross, uh, the growth of cooperative employee and family-owned grocery stores um, that reflect our community's diversity and regionality. Uh, it's, you know, there's precedent for it. We've done it before. The, the 1944, the government broke up the massive A&P uh, grocery chain uh, which was at, at its peak controlled 12% of the U.S. grocery market, whereas this Kroger Albertsons chain would come in, you know, immediately come in and be 15% of the market instantly. You know, we can also build strong unions with strong industry-wide wage and safety standards, and we need to start building a public food sector or a public option for our food system because food should be a right. And, uh, you know, as we discussed many times, on the, like time and time again on this show, there are many issues that even the most well-intentioned private industry just cannot solve. And food, the right, the access to food and at an affordable rate for American people should be outside of the whims of the market. Uh, we are out of time. Um, we will be back with you in a month. Thank you so much for listening to Labor Radio. I have been Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gillen. <laughs> Howdy, everybody. I'm Rose Maddox, and I'd like to tell you that you're listening to KBOO in Portland, Oregon, the station that I listen to 